you guys and gals. Welcome back to another episode. Four days now and counting. We're just, I, I try to make this a Guinness Book World Record or something. Uh, <laughs> we're going to do another episode. Um, I am still, I, like I said, I'm just really fascinated with this topic and I want to keep going, you know. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying those episodes uh, previously. Uh, I, I have been, if nothing else, you know, so I, I would hope that other people are too or else it's just like kind of a weird thing, me listening to myself. <laughs> It made me real crazy real quick, right? Um, anyway, uh, I'm going to go ahead and keep rolling through it because the next one on our list for the seven deadly sins, uh, the sixth of the sin, sixth sin is envy. And what I find, what on, just before we get into it, is, is it's really hard to not recognize these inside of yourself. I feel like if you really look, it's really hard to not, you, you'll find every one of these within yourself at some point or time. You know what I mean? You'll exhibit them. You know, they're unavoidable. That's one thing we need to make sure, like we need to make like super clear, right? Is like, they are unavoidable. You can't, you can't keep yourself from committing as these would be referred to as sin. I, if, if you don't like the word sin, because I think a lot of people are kind of averse just to the idea of sin because it's attachment to the structures and the, you know, the, the Christianity and things like that. Um, Judaism, you can, you can, you can use a different, just use a different terminology because I, I understand like, words do hold weight more than we give them credit for. Right. And, um, because a word is an idea, it's an encapsulated idea. Right. And so when you give somebody that word, they're going to kind of, they take on the energy of it. And so, you know, it, it's, it's like sin has this connotation of, and I think it's rightful. Like, I like the word sin. I think it's just. I think that's why we use it. But some people are so averse to it that they won't encounter the idea, period. Because it's like, ooh, like, I'm not that. I don't want to I don't want to even look at bad things because they might infect me, kind of an idea, right? Well, that's a bad thing, too, because that's how they come out of you in the worst ways. <laughs> it's by trying to avoid them like that. Uh, that's how something actually takes control. That's how these things control you, is by avoiding them. Because they're, they're, they're kind of like... Um, I think what it is, is each of these are kind of like the, the common quality. I said at the beginning, you know, that lust was kind of like the primal version, you know, the primal self coming out. And like, there's, it's like this balance that you have with the primal self. And what we would classify as evil is kind of that primal identity coming out in weird ways. They're not properly understanding the symbiotic relationship between kind of our primal selves and the modern selves. Or like the thinking selves and like the... Um, non-thinking or subconscious selves. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know if it's delineated in that way. I don't know if it's like, separated in those means. I don't think so. But I'm trying to refer to it in terms that we refer to commonly today, right? So it's like, there's this, I do think there's this animal instinct, I get, or for lack of a better way of describing it, there's this animal identity inside of us that's very primal and many would classify as evil. I think it's one of the roots of evil in the world is this primal identity. Um, but it's not just that primal identity because it's not just like an animal thing. It's not just like this animal, old animal living inside of us because animals inside of the animal kingdom, if you, you know, if you watch in the world, they don't have this, this evil quality to them, right? Like um, they do have this like fight or flight response they have this you know fear you know sense they have the ability to you know um survive out of instinct 
but you don't see them do things and evil being just for the witnessing of degradation in the system like that's what evil is i think is like doing something purely for the for the to witness the system itself degrade the whole thing degrade it's a really it, it, pure evil is encapsulated in kind of the idea of the Joker in the Dark Knight. That's why I think I honestly really think that's why Heath Ledger died. He he tampered with something very real in that movie, and that's why it's so profound. The Joker, the identity of the Joker, is akin to Satan himself. What you witness in those movies is Satan. That's him, right? That's what it looks on like on somebody. Remember when I told you the eyes thing? If you want to see it in somebody's face, look at Heath Ledger's face when he's playing the Joker. You'll see the darkness I'm talking about. It's a lack of of light. It's like a, it's like a, a dark, it's literally a darkness, a shadow in the eyes you can see in somebody and it's sinister and it smiles. That's why the Joker smiles at you. That's why he has a painted on face. That's exactly what evil looks like. And it's tempting and it's enticing. There's something attractive about it, isn't there? It's that face that haunts you that sticks in your head, Right? I know I'm taking this to a very dark place to begin with, but I think it's necessary in some ways. Like, this is an identity that can possess people. And it's dangerous, and it is just as real as the table I hit right there. People don't want to admit that to themselves, but it's just that real. It's that real. If you want to watch it take hold of somebody and see how physically real it can be, watch Heath Ledger. You know, everybody rules his death as a, uh, it was an accidental suicide, right? Well, the devil's a trickster. He got him. You know, I, I, I feel bad like asserting that, but that's what I see in that situation because I don't know more. I don't know Heath Ledger. I, I think he's a good person. You know, I, I wish him the best. I wish everything, his family the best. You know, I, I don't mean to talk ill about him. I think what he did was embodied a very dangerous identity in that movie. I think Joaquin Phoenix did did too. You don't you don't tamper or da- dance with those things without being marked by them. They stain you when you get that close to something like that. You can't you can't play with something that dark. All of these things wrapped up together. You can't try to embody that and then just try to cast it off again. That's not how it works. These are powerful things. These are old things, much older than you. They're as old as the universe itself. We have to watch in ourselves these characteristics because these are the way you identify these old personalities coming out in you, starting to possess you. I think the reason that you see these in all the religions repeated throughout you know, history and over time and regardless of space is because you can see these characteristics in people that are possessed by this evil identity. And it doesn't matter where you are on the earth. And it doesn't matter. It's, it's not something that you can teach people. It's something inherent, basic inside the human being. It's something you get out of observation, which is why that you, you get it in each of these religions. You observe people. You observe in your, in your individual society how the society degrades. You identify which people lead that degradation, and then you kind of compile the traits that are similar there. This is what you come up with. 
Repeat that around the world, you get the same thing. There's something very true about that. Again, it's the same idea like overlaps. You know, when things overlap, there's something true there. Pay attention to it, right? Anyway, let's just start in here. I didn't mean to start off so dark. You know what I mean? That was very, very dark. Apologies, right? Again, I, I felt like I maybe went a little too far with what I asserted with um, uh, Heath Ledger. You know what I mean? I don't, I, I don't know for a fact that that's what he was dancing with. All I know is I've seen that face before. And I'll just leave it at that. Envy. Like greed and lust is characterized by an insatiable desire. It can be described as a sad or resentful covetousness towards the trait or possessions of someone else. It arises from vainglory and serves as a man from his neighbor, or it severs a man from his neighbor. It arises from vainglory and severs a man from his neighbor. We got to figure out what this vainglory is because it keeps on coming up and it's the excessive belief in one's own ability or attractiveness. Okay, that's what it is. To others. Oh, so it's how, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's being, yeah, it's vain. It's vanity. It's, it's, uh, it's just vanity. It's thinking that people, thinking highly of yourself and the way that people view you. It severs a man from his neighbor. So yeah, it makes you feel like you're the center of the universe. Malicious envy is similar to jealousy in that they both feel discontent towards someone's traits, status, abilities, or rewards. The difference is that envious, is that the envious also desire the entity and covet it. Envy can be directly related to the Ten Commandments. Specifically, neither shall you covet anything that belongs to your neighbor, a statement that may also be related to greed. Dante defined envy as a desire to deprive other men of theirs. In Dante's Purgatory, the punishment for the envious is to have their eyes sewn shut with, the, with wire because they gain sinful pleasure from seeing others brought low. Ooh, that's brutal. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, the struggle aroused by envy has three stages. During the first stage, the envious person attempts to lower another's reputation. Huh, oh, hold on, I want to start this over because I wasn't paying attention. I was just reading. The struggle aroused by envy has has three stages. During the first stage, the envious person attempts to lower one's reputation. In the middle stage, the envious person receives either joy at another's misfortune, if he succeeds in defaming the other person, or grief at another's prosperity, if he fails. The third stage is hatred because sorrow causes hatred. Huh. Jeez, these are so deep. Envy is said to be the motivation behind Cain murdering his brother, which is the first story of man. Let's stop here for a second, because this is very important. For those of you who don't know the story of Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel are the son, uh, the sons of Adam and Eve. Now we're gonna let's go ahead and bring up the story real quick because it'll just—it's a very short story. Uh, let's go ahead and read it. In the biblical book of Genesis, Cain and Abel are the first two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain, the firstborn, was a farmer, and his brother Abel was a shepherd. The brothers made sacrifices to God, each of his own produce, but God favored Abel's sacrifice instead of Cain's. Cain then murdered Abel whereupon God punished Cain by condemning him to a life of wandering. Cain then dwelt in the land of Nod, uh, Nod, stands for wandering, where he built a city and fathered the line of descendants beginning with Enoch. Enoch, according to the book of Genesis, was a son of Cain and father of Erad. After Cain arrived the land of Nod, to which he was evicted by the Lord as his punishment for murdering his brother Abel. His wife became pregnant and bore Cain's first child, uh, whom he named Enoch. And Enoch... Uh, Cain, Cain is the father in, in the Bible of every living human, living human being. Let me, let me say that again. So in the Bible, 
we are all descendants. The first person, we are all descendants of a murderer. Chew on that for a second. What does that entail? What does that mean? Why is that there? Also, let's let's dive into this 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 story a little bit deeper here because I I think the story of Cain and Abel was one of the most. I, 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 there's a, a whole series lecture series that Jordan Peterson does. On, it's called the Biblical series. It's on YouTube. If you're curious about these or if any of these things that I've been going through kind of fascinate you, just out of like curiosity, go watch that because it's one of the most in depth interpretations of the Old Testament that I've ever seen, and it's absolutely fascinating. One of the things he ta- takes apart it's like a whole episode. It's like an hour and a half or two hours, maybe even longer, and there's like eight or nine different episodes in the series um is and it's like a lecture series it's like a it's like a college lecture right um but it's very very fascinating and um the Cain and Abel story is very short but uh Jordan Peterson in that lecture series says that it's one of the most deep stories he's ever engaged with period in any kind of context throughout history that is one of the shortest stories, but as he continues to read it, he finds more and more depth in it. And that's one of the things that's so fascinating about some of these stories. There's a lot of depth in these things. It's very simple. Cain and Abel, first two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain, the firstborn, was a farmer, and his brother Abel was a shepherd. The brother made sacrifice. The brothers made sacrifices to God, right? So in the, in, in the Bible, um, there is this like literal sacrifice that that is required, right? That God asks of them, and uh, each brother goes and finds. A sacrifice. And I believe in the story, if I'm remembering right, Cain sacrifices like he goes because he's like a farmer. If I'm right, Cain is a farmer and brother is a shepherd. Yes. So uh, Cain goes and gets like, you know, corn and like stuff from his, his, uh, his uh, crop. But he just kind of gets whatever. He doesn't get like the best stuff. He just kind of grabs whatever and he gets there. And then there's a, there's a suggestion of that right in there, but it's very, it's very, it, it, it's very hard to interpret. Abel goes out and uh, gets his, like, it's like a newborn sheep, you know, like, the, and it has this idea of all this potential in it. I believe it's like his most valued, a newborn from like this most valued flock, right? Whatever, something like that, right? You get the idea. It's like his most prized possession he takes. They both make the sacrifices. God is uh, pleased by Abel's sacrifice and not pleased by Cain's. Now, there's a lot of interpretation left there. It's very, like I said, it's, it's hard to interpret. So it's, it's left up for interpretation, nonetheless. So it's like, why does God favor Abel and not Cain's? Well, some would say it's because Cain kind of just chose whatever, like I said. But even the suggestion of that is kind of shadowed. It's, it's, not, it's not like direct in the Bible. So it's like, you could actually also assert that Cain was you know, got the best of his crop and put it down there. That would be a, a good assertion as well. So if both, let's say, let's say that's the case, that Abel and Cain both brought the best, their favored crop, their favored sacrifice. God favored Abel's sacrifice. Why? Well, this is the question that goes through Cain's head, right? And, and leads him to murder his brother eventually because Cain can't discern a reason why. It leads to fairness, right? We were talking about fairness in the last episode. I think the reason that this story is so pivotal and basic and foundational, and it's the first thing that the first story of man, it's about fairness. It's showing you the world is not fair. You could do everything right and still not be favored. You could still have misfortune. What did we talk about a couple of uh, episodes ago, right? Faith is kind of this, uh, uh, diligence to good work, regardless of what you see around you. 
So diligence in this context, Cain and Abel would have been Cain continuing to provide sacrifice regardless of how he was favored. Maybe his crop continued to fail, but he continued to give the best sacrifice and the best sacrifice and the best sacrifice. And he did it until he had nothing to sacrifice. Like that's the idea. Like you continue, it doesn't matter. You don't question what your lot in life is. You continue to take what you get and you do the best you have with it. You place yourself in a sacrificial uh, stance. Like I would, I suggested before that sacrificial stance, instead of like an actual physical sacrifice now in the modern day is a sacrifice of energy. You know, you're sacrificing your energy towards something. You know, you're putting yourself in that same kind of, same kind of stance, that same, that same posture. And because of that, when you're in that posture, you're protected, you're guarded. You know, even if you don't see it around you, you are, you're on the right path. The path may be thorny right there, but there's going to be an opening coming up. I think it's incredibly deep and important that Cain is the father of all of us in this story. Because it shows also that we are all deeply flawed. It shows you that deep down, there's this guy inside of you. There's a murderer inside of you. You come from that. You're not above that. Nobody is. Like I said before, you ha- we have to get comfortable. Not comfortable. You don't ever want to get like comfortable where you're doing this in the world. But you, also, you have to be familiar with the idea that you could be very, very, very evil. The ultimate evil you could be. That lives inside of you. That's the reason for this. That's why Cain is here for this story. It's to show you that that lives inside of you. And then as you read on, you find these other traits and you go into more depth. Like we've kind of done before, right? Anyway, that's the story of Cain and Abel. I highly suggest, and I'll post for you, I'll try to find exact biblical series one and post the link to it for you guys so you can see it on YouTube. It's on YouTube. It's free. All righty. Bertrand Russell said that envy was one of the most potent causes of unhappiness, bringing sorrow to committers of envy whilst giving them the urge to inflict pain upon others. In accordance with most widely accepted views, only pride weighs down the soul more than envy among the capital sins. Just like pride, envy has been associated directly with the devil. For wisdom, 2.24 states, the envy of the devil brought death to the world. The idea in that being that the reason that there's death and suffering in the world is because, uh, because of the devil, because there's this like fundamental thing there. This, like I said, this very old thing. And in the Bible, it's the, and I, I don't think this is even described. The fall isn't described in the Bible. I don't think the fall of, uh, Lucifer. So it, it, Lucifer is many, let me, let me, um, let me bring up the story of the fall for you real quick. The fall. So this is on Christianity.com. This is by Dr. Ron Rhodes. How did Lucifer fall and become Satan? Let's go ahead and read this. This is very fascinating. And you'll find all of these things we've been talking about in this personality, like I was saying. So let's, let's go ahead and read. It would seem from the context of Ezekiel 28, the first 10 verses of this chapter are dealing with a human leader. And starting in verse 11 and on through verse 19, Lucifer is the focus of discussion. So the fall of Lucifer in the Bible. What is the rationale for the conclusion that these later, uh, latter verses refer to the fall of Lucifer, whereas the t- first 10 verses in this chapter speak about the, the rule of Tyre, who was condemned for claiming to be good, though he was just a man. 
The discussion moves to be to the king of Tyre, starting in verse 11. Many scholars believe that though there was a human ruler of Tyre, the real king of Tyre was Satan, for it was he who was ultimately at work in this anti-God city, and it was he who worked through the human ruler of the city. Some have suggested that these verses may actually be dealing with a human king of Tyre who was empowered by Satan. Perhaps, okay, let's go ahead and this is not what I was looking for, guys. I, I, sorry about that. Go ahead and <laughs> apologize for wasting 30, 45 seconds of your time there. Let me just read you more about this. Um, so this is just Lucifer on Wikipedia. Let's see. It's a Latin name for the planet Venus and its morning appearances and is often used for mythological and religious figures associated with the planet. Due to the u- unique movements of discontinuous appearances of Venus in the sky, mythology surrounding these figures often involved a fall from the heavens to earth or the underworld. So this is this appears, this is like an astrological uh, occurrence that has been kind of noted in mythology and religions throughout history, right? Interpretations of a similar term in the Hebrew Bible translated to the King James Version as Lucifer as a proper name led to the Christian tradition of applying the name Lucifer and its associated stories of a fall from heaven to Satan. But modern scholarship generally translates the term to the relevant Bible passage, Isaiah fourteen twelve, as morning star or shining one rather than a proper name Lucifer. Hmm. Because the reason that being is that um, he was, he was, the idea being that he was God's favorite angel. He was he was the, the beautiful one. Um, and the name for the devil, the more common meaning in English, Lucifer, is the rendering of the Hebrew word uh, Hayel. Hayel, I think is how you pronounce it, in Isaiah uh, 1412, given in the King James Version of the Bible. The translators of this version took the word from the Latin Vulgate. So let's uh, fall from heaven. Here's the... Here's the story of it. The motif of a heavenly being striving for the highest seat of heaven only to be cast down to the underworld has its origins in the motions of the planet Venus known as the Morning Star. The Sumerian goddess Inanna, Babylonian Ishtar, is associated with the planet Venus. And Inanna's, yeah, no, Inanna's uh, actions in several of her myths, including Inanna and Shukalatuta, and Inanna's descent into the underworld appear to parallel the motion of Venus as, it's prog- as it progresses through its synodic cycle. The synodic cycle as the orbital, orbital period uh, is the time given the astronomical object takes to complete one orbit around another object and applies in astronomy, astronomy usually to planets or asteroids orbiting the sun, moons, orbiting planets, exoplanets, orbiting star, other stars. Okay. So a similar theme is present in the Babylonian myth of Etana. The Jewish encyclopedia comments, the brilliance, brilliancy of the morning star, which eclipses all other stars, but is not seen during the night, may easily have given rise to a myth such as was told of Athana and Zu. He was led by his pride to strive for the highest seat among the star gods on the northern mountain of the gods, but was hurled down by the supreme ruler of the Babylonian Olympus. Oh, okay, so that's that's kind of interesting. I didn't know that story, the Babylonian story. Uh, the fall from heaven motif also has a parallel in uh, Canaanite uh, myth- mythology. Uh, Canaanite religion refers to the group of scientific uh, Semitic religions practiced by the Canaanites living in the ancient Levant from at least the early Bronze Age through the first centuries of the Common Era. Okay, in ancient uh, Canaanite religion, the Morning Star is personified as the god Atar. Atar is an ancient uh, Semitic deity whose rule, role, name, and even gender varied. Okay, uh, who attempted to occupy the throne of Baal and finding he was unable to do so, descended and ruled the underworld. The original myth may have been about a lesser god, Hillel, trying to dethrone the Canaanite god, high god El, who lived on a mountain to the north. The Herman Gunkel's reconstruction of the myth told a mighty warrior called Halal, whose ambition was to ascend higher than all the other stellar div- divinities, but who had, descent, had to descend to the depths. If thus portrayed as a battle, the process by which the bright 
Morningstar falls to reach the highest point in the sky before being faded out by the rising sun. That's, I, I'm sorry guys, that didn't make very much sense today. Okay, let's just continue. However, uh, the Eared Man's commentary on the Bible argues that no evidence has been found for a Canaanite myth or imagery of a god being forcibly thrown from heaven, as in the book of Isaiah. It argues that the closest parallels with Isaiah's description of the king of Babylon as a fallen uh, morning star cast down from heaven are to be found in not in Canaanite myths, but in traditional ideas of the Jewish people, echoed in the biblical account of the fall of Adam and Eve, cast out of God's presence for wishing to be as God, and the picture in Psalm 82 of the gods and sons of the Most High destined to die and fall. The Jewish tradition has echoes also in Jewish uh, pseudopigrapha, such as to Enoch and the life of Adam and Eve. The life of Adam and Eve in turn shaped the idea of uh, Iblis in the Quran. Okay, so... The Greek myth of uh, Phaethon, a personification of the planet Jupiter, follows a similar pattern. Okay, so that was kind of, sorry, sometimes I'm going to get caught up in, in reading that isn't relevant because I'm reading it for the first time too, guys. But that that was, I mean, I don't, it was relevant, but I don't think many people are familiar with the Canaanites and that kind of stuff, so not as relevant. Um, in Christianity, this is where it's relevant. I'm sorry, this, this, uh, this should make a little more sense. And also, so you know, like I am using Wikipedia. I like to use Wikipedia because it is kind of, it's crowdsourced, right? So it's not like I need to sort cite any one person on this. I do cite this so you can see it. Um, but it also, I like it because as I go through, you can see I can define things for you and not have to like stop uh, the reading really. So Because there's a lot of these, especially when you're dealing with these ideas, so many other words we don't know. Like the language, we just have no idea what it is. And I, me too. And so it's like, I need to know while I'm reading through it what you mean, you know? And this is incredibly valuable for that, you know, Wikipedia is. So, um, let's see. Let's go as uh, right here. So some Christian writers have applied the name Lucifer as used in the book of Isaiah and the motif of a heavenly being cast down to earth to Satan. Uh, Sig, Sigvi K. Tonstad argues that a New Testament war in heaven theme of Revelation 12, in which the dragon, who is called the devil and Satan, was thrown down to the earth, was derived from the passages about the Babylonian king in Isaiah 14. Interpreted such Old Testament passages as being about manifestations of the devil, but writing in Greek, not Latin. He did not identify the devil with the name Lucifer. Let me see here. Why is why are they not giving me what I'm looking for? This really sucks. Um, anyway, this is just a lot of people like trying to argue for the, see, this is what you, I don't know if you noticed this, but this is part of the problem. So this is what people get caught up in, right? I'm trying to find just the story of it so I can get the meaning out of it. But what you'll find in a lot, and this is a part of the problems in religions is, is, is people get so caught up in where it comes from. Look at this. Like this is all of that, all of that crap I just read. How long did we just wait? Seven or eight minutes of me reading stuff that had zero relevance to itself. It's just people talking around themselves. Same thing happens with like data itself. People do the same thing or with like the, that, that material perspective that I'm talking about. Same kind of thing is happening. It's just like people talking around themselves. Like, oh, where does it come from? Measure it more. Oh, where does it come from? Measure it more. It's like, well, we're missing the point, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Anyway, the reason I was bringing it up, and I'm going to just move on because I guess I'm not going to get that, uh, so that's that's fine, um, is he he is an embodiment of all of these things, right? Um, but he's not always that. You know, the idea of Satan and the devil or the evil one, it, it, like, there's this idea that he falls from grace, that it's a, that he chooses to question God and to supplant, try to try to overthrow him, Right? Um, and that he believes himself to be better than God. 
right? He confuses himself with the Great One, and he also bets against humanity. He, he, he becomes envious and wrathful and prideful uh, over God's love of humanity and his creation. And so he bets against humanity. Uh, and he tells God, essentially makes a wager with God that, you know, humans are corruptible and contemptible and he's going to prove it to him. And this is what sets up, this is why I was trying to bring it up, this is what sets up the, uh, the entire existence of evil in the world period. It's this fundamental kind of disagreement between these two very old identities. And it's, 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 I, you know, I don't, it's, it's hard to conceptualize that way. You know, I, I think it's, it's very hard to think that that ever actually happened. Right. Because it's like, Oh, where did it happen in the clouds or something like that? But also like, there's something to me that feels like attractive about it. Right. And, and because there's a, there's an attraction in the story and it's like, why am I attracted to that story then? You know what I mean? Because like, like I said, there's a resonance to that. Why? Like, because it does. It's like, that sounds right. <laughs> like, I don't know. Why do, why do things sound right sometimes? You know what I mean? Like, it's a faith-based thing, I guess. But anyway, you get what I'm saying, right? Like that, 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 that it sets up this whole, that, that is this personality. Just combine all these things together. You get this personality and that's where the, where it comes from. That's where evil comes from in the world. It's this fundamental wager. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's why um, you can't eliminate suffering because there is this fundamental existence that (laughs) wants you to think you can, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it wants, and he entices you to be him. Right? Envy. Let's move on to just envy, right? Because envy is a... We've all, we've all felt this inside of ourselves. Especially modern day, you know? There's like this playing into it, too. You know, with with marketing and things the way it is, you know, it's, where it's like we double, we want to make people envious of things so that they buy it. You know what I mean? It's like it, <laughs> that's what all this marketing, this like really like hyper focused marketing that's supposed to target you and shit like that. You know, it's like it's it's all to play into what you actually want, which and to make you envious of something. You know, throughout your day, so you buy it. I don't know. I think there's some I think there's some inherently evil ideas that we've embraced in the modern economy, the modern world that are unhealthy. Because because there is needs for things, right? Like like I a while back, this is probably going to be 20 episodes back now or something like that, but we we do need there's certain and I've talked about it recently too, but like the, the needs and wants idea, right? But there's th- there's very few things you need. Like you need like food and water and air and like another perspective. Somebody else. It can't just be you. You would you would end things so quickly if that was true. <laughs> That's the most depressing. Just don't try to play with that idea actually, because it's it's a, such a such a nihilistic, depressing place to go in your head. It's just not fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not like you don't want to be alone. You don't want to ever imagine you and that's all there is, right? That that's exactly what will happen if you embody these things in yourself. Like if you allow these things to happen, 
is you'll slowly isolate yourself. And I think that's because there is this, like, that's, that's how, like, evil works within people. Just as, like, there's a very narrow path that I think that you need to walk to kind of find your purpose in life, to find your truth, I think there's also, like, a, a similarly identifiable path downward. And um, you can see people walking on it. You know what I mean? Why can you see it? Because you walk on it yourself. That's why. You know what I mean? I'm not sitting here preaching to people as if I'm somebody that's never made a mistake in my life. I've made so many, it's not even funny. I make them all the time still. I'm so fallible and flawed. It's hard. It's been hard for me at times to, to rationalize myself as a thing. I often wonder if that's uh, something that a lot of people run into. They get so overwhelmed with how flawed they are internally, with how disjointed they are, with how much these things pop out of them, much how un- out of control they actually feel when all they want to do is steer the damn thing. And not having any way to figure out how to do that, it's seeming, seeming like the harder you squeeze, the harder you use the tools that the world has given you, that you're supposed to do, the more things go wrong, the more the world spins out of control. Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? I hear so many people just screaming that in their head. Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? It's like, it's, it, it, why is that? It's, it's because we don't have the tools. We, we deleted them. You got to look, what have you not engaged with? Ask yourself that. Is there anything you haven't engaged with? Is there anything you haven't tried, you know? In some ways, we're being illogical too. too you know, it's like, I think these things... As, as obviously I've pointed out in these last six episodes, like are very practical. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hard to argue against. Replicated throughout history and religion. Right? Indefensible. Objectively indefensible. Yet somehow omitted from all of her like founding documents everywhere. Like I've said before, I do think the founding fathers may have screwed up a wee bit, and it's probably here. It's in the responsibility side. What's the responsibility side? Well, it's doing this work. Making sure you're not devolving into an evil thing that's going to take the world down with you. That is your ultimate responsibility. It's the most responsibility you could have. It's the only thing, like, if you don't do anything, it's the only thing you should do. Make sure you don't devolve. But we don't even have that. You know, we haven't instilled or or shown people that these are real things because we have embodied them in our documents where we consider real things or where we define things as real. And so they're not in people's minds. They could be. I think this is the shift we need. I'm not saying we need to bring the whole structure of all these religions into, you know, mix it up with the government and make everybody, you know, worship 12 times a day and all this kind of crap. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is it's time that the distilled versions of these ideas, the overlaps, be compiled and implemented in our life and our world. It's the only logical next step. 
the idea of envy deals with where is it here there's somewhere here it says it it's a really good way to sum it up i've read it before the difference is that the envious also desires the entity and covets it. So malicious envy is similar to jealousy in that they both feel discontent towards someone's traits, status, abilities, or rewards. So it's like, you, you, see, you, know, you know this feeling, you're looking for it in yourself and you'll identify it pretty quick. It's like, oh, you see somebody and you're like, oh, I just don't like them. You can't put your finger on it, but you can. You just, you're not being honest with yourself. It's like, I just don't like them. Well, no, you don't like them for some reason. They have something you want. Because of that, you're identifying them as blocking you from what you want. You're setting up a uh, zero-sum game and thus making an argument for violence and all these other negative actions. A difference is that envious, uh, the envious also desire the en- en- entity and covet it. So the difference between jealousy and envy is you take it a step further and you actually want... It's, it's even more simple. The reason it's more simple is because you disregard the gifts you've been given, the importance of your perspective, and kind of the importance of you not intermingling or, or desiring to intermingle too much your perspective with somebody else's, right? In a, in a perverted way, right? And that's what you'll find in all of these. There's this perversion going on, right? Like, uh, um, but you should never desire to be somebody else. Because you're, you're a gift, man. Like, you're, you're something that's very special. It doesn't matter what flaws you have because everybody has them. There is not a perfect being on this planet, there's so many people running around hiding themselves as if they think they're flawed. They're the only ones flawed. You know, I see this so much in femininity modern day, and there's so many arguments against it too. Is like, look at this culture where it's pre- presenting the perfect picture and all this kind of stuff. Well, that's partially true too, but it's also partially true that that like it's partially true that that's kind of can be negative, right? That it can be over and like it can present the picture as if this is true and and and, and nothing else is. Well, that's. That's not the entirety of it, but it's also not inherently bad, right? People presenting beauty, because those are beautiful things. The human being is a beautiful thing, right? And there's all the different variations of beauty. That's one version of it. But for people to identify that as only the only way to look at beauty is actually really representing in the other person how envious you are of that thing, how sinful you're viewing the situation, and what a sinful way, and really why it's de- degrading more, why you're not getting better, why you're not recognizing where your beauty lies or, or capitalizing on it and why you'll probably get more angry, wrathful, prideful, lustful, slothful, greedful, any, any of these until you are completely and utterly all of these things. And it all, hap- it all happens in this slow, s- slick, s- sly, coy way where it, it's, it, you don't even know it's happening and then you look and you're like, oh man, I'm a shitty person. <laughs> You know what I mean? Whew. The devil's a tricky one. You know what I mean? He's a trickster. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, the struggle aroused by envy has three stages. During the first stage, the envious person attempts to lower another's reputation. So... The first stage of envy is for somebody to try to make the other person, the person that is the the target of their envious, you know, uh, drive to bring them down in some way. Why? I think it's because, like, maybe trying to uh, replace them. You literally want to replace them. I mean, the first version of it is maybe not as sinful because it's not like you want to replace yourself. You want to be them, but you don't want to be them. You know what I mean? It's like you want to be in their perspective, but you want to bring your perspective along with it. And it's like an impossibility, but it's kind of what you try to do, right? So it's like, uh, 
yeah, during the first stage, the envious person attempts to lower the other's reputation so you can embody that perspective, maybe. And in the set middle stage, the envious person receives either joy at another's misfortune or grief at their prosperity. So, like, uh, if you're successful or not, you either get, you know, you know, you either are rewarded for it. Like I said, there's reward in this. There's actually a good feeling you can get in all of these things, which will trick you into thinking what you're doing is justified, which it isn't. Good doesn't denote justified. Good feeling doesn't denote justified. It's just reward. That's like preying on like the basic, you know, like uh, circuitry of the human body. It's like the human body likes to get good things, you know, things that make it feel good. You know what I mean? And so when, when, like the the survival response mechanism inside the human being sees another person that is has been labeled as a threat going down in stature, you're going to get a reward. You're going to get a serotonin boost. You're going to get a, you know what I mean? Like it's going to, boom, you're going to feel that fucking rush real quick, but it's going to be fleeting. It can also trick you if you're not careful into thinking that that was a justified option and it was a justified motion and it'll trick you into doing it again and again and again and again and it'll slide you into these other things into pride into greed into lust and sloth and all these other things right um and then the final stage is hatred because sorrow causes hatred so like when you realize you know what, what what the other way first in the middle stage right well so what if they uh so that's if they uh succeed you, you know you get you get sad if they, if, if they, if they, if, if your, if your, um, attempts fail, then you get sad. And if you get sad, it causes hatred to grow. Even if you're successful, it causes you to go down the debt, the, uh, the dis deadly path where you're going to lead to a lot more sinful things that are a lot more dangerous and will mess you up or trip you up in worse ways. So it's like you get a reward and you don't experience in the moment, the negative, the negative response, but you will. It's a karmic, it's a karmic problem there and then and then uh um the third stage is sorrow because either way you're going to experience it through that karmic cycle coming back or you're going to experience it because you failed and you can't control those kind of things and you're that's more sorrow but you want to though you want to make it fair or whatever your conception of uh the just or the good life would be so it's going to make you hateful of that person and it can it can lead to murder you know what I mean? They can lead to like really, really sinful acts. You know? They can lead, and that's how people feel justified in doing it. That's how they feel justified in doing it. Because they get rewarded for it. <laughs> Whew. <laughs> man, oh man, we gotta watch this stuff on ourselves, don't we? These are chaotic times. We're heading for chaotic times. I think it's important to identify these things inside yourself right now so that if stuff does get more chaotic, which I like, I think it will, you can notice these things in yourself and you can walk that line, that fine line, that path. You can see it. You can walk it. You can stay in the narrow path and you can know that, you know, as long as you live your life in the truest way possible, that you are going to, you'll be blessed, man. I don't know how else to put it. It's also very simple to envy somebody else because you are them in some in, in a way. I think this is partially why it's like it's like we're all the same thing with different hurdles. You know what I mean? Really are. 
like even if you were looking from a materialist perspective, you would argue that like, oh, it's all the same person, right? You know, like it's all the same person. It's like, like we're all human beings. But, you know, you know, this is kind of the the the, the nature argument that like uh, or nurture argument. I mean, is like you know, but your experiences and the hurdles that are placed in front of you what define what you are, right? It's that nurture side of the argument, I think, right? If I'm setting that up properly. You don't want to... So, so, so there's something really weird about wanting to trade. Because if you look at, look at it from that perspective, wanting to trade hurdles is weird. That's the thing that makes you different. Is like the, the hard things that you go through. That's what That really is what your identity is. All of the challenges that you've overcome. That's the good parts of you. That's the strong part of you. That's the light in you. That's the thing that can take on more. That's the thing that takes on responsibility. That's the thing that disciplines itself. That's the thing that loves other things. That's the thing that puts down hatred. That's the thing that doesn't lash out. That's the thing that doesn't act prideful. That's the thing that looks into the world and pulls order and out of it. That's the thing you should be. That's the thing I should be. We don't want to trade spots with other people. No matter who it is, you know. I listened to that Joe Rogan, uh, Elon Musk interview. Not the this this recent one. I listened to that as well. It was really good. But the first one, if you ever listened to that one, it's really entertaining because Elon Musk really goes into depth describing kind of like how he thinks in that one. And I found it fascinating because he does to me look like a tortured individual when you watch him. Like he just looks like he's he's hurting, like suffering. And the reason I say that is because, and he describes himself that way, I think, because he, he's obviously not, suffering is not the right way to put it, but he's got this, like his hurdle is something big. You know what I mean? He's got the, because obviously he's taking on the world, not only the world, he's taking on the solar system, man. He's trying to get to Mars. Like he's got this, like as, as Rogan would describe it, this demon, this big freaking demon he's running from, or not necessarily running from, but he's trying to conquer. And that, that demon must be the size of the solar system, man. You know, like, one of the things you'll notice in, in him, and he would describe him himself, and he told Rogan this, you know, he's like, you wouldn't want to be me. He said this outright. And that made me, like, that shook me for a second. I had to kind of, I actually paused it the first time I listened to that, I think, because it's like, yeah, I see what you're saying, man. Like, and, and it's not out of, like, a weird way, like, oh, yeah, I won't be Elon Musk. No, it's like, I don't think anybody, you'd tell anybody else that either. I don't think you'd ever tell somebody that you, you want to be me. You know what I mean? You wouldn't ever say that. So then that's where it, that's how it reveals that envy is a really weird freaking emotion. It's a really, it's a thing you don't want in you because it's not natural. It's like artificially placed there. It's like what? You don't want to be other people. You don't want other people to be you. So why would you want to be other people? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's tricky. It's like a deli- that'll, that'll indicate things to you. You find this tricky quality to certain things and ideas and stuff you play with, and that'll show you who you're playing with. You know what I mean? Maybe be a little more careful, right? Defend yourself or put on your armor. You know what I mean? 
Also, have love for yourself. People that are envious of other people don't properly love who they are or what they are. They don't know what they are. Like I've said before, you're so unique. There's so much intent behind you and purpose. If, you, if the, the people that were envious truly saw that, there's no way they could allow that emotion to exist in themselves. There's no way you'd want to be anybody else. You know, I often wonder, and this is a really, really touchy subject too, and I brought it up a little bit, you know, in the other episodes, but um, with all of these like mass shootings and stuff that have, have happened, I often wonder if, if the people... Um, There's always this quality in the people that if you notice that they, they're like ostracized or they're cast out or they're awkward or they're, you know what I mean, they have some kind of mental condition or whatever it is, you know what I mean? But there's like some kind of, they've been labeled as broken, <clears throat> for lack of a better way to describe it, but I honestly think that's what we do modern day with people. We break, we, we break them and label, as, label them as broken. Oops, somebody broke it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Who else? Who else broke it? Anyway, that um, I'm not condoning anything these people do. Their actions are completely and utterly evil, despicable, as you can see. Anybody objectively would say that. What I try to do is figure out why these people do what they do. Because I think it's where we're missing. It's such an uncomfortable topic. It's such an uncomfortable place to take your head. Nobody wants to go there. So they don't. If you don't go there, you don't properly understand the problem, and thus it repeats itself. So, I try to figure out why these people do what they do. And what I've found, I think, is, it is they're human beings, just like you and me, that have been led astray. Have been enticed by one or two or three or all of these, usually all of these things at some point in their life, but there's some kind of tripping point that initially leads them there. It's almost like a perfect storm. But we. A lot of ways in which, you know, evil grows evil. So it's like people in the world acting envious and prideful and wrathful, maybe not all of them together, but in their own versions of these things enthralled in their world, you know, may have come in contact with these people randomly. You know, it's this Starbucks guy that bumps into him and says, fuck you. It's the whatever, you know what I mean? It's all of these things all at once, you know, just bumping into people as they're going through their lives. And there's these certain people that just get freaking crushed with it. Because they, because they also are, it's not, I'm not like relieving them of their responsibility. I want you to understand that because they also hold responsibility to get themselves out of those positions and they're not doing that. They're not picking up their responsibility. They're not recognizing that their life is a hurdle, that they need to get over that hurdle. And if they did, they would be much, they would be in a place that they want to be, but they don't recognize that they have that control. They blame the world for it and thus they want to see the world end. Now, that is their responsibility. At the same time, we play a role in creating that as well. All of us individually, by how we interact with the world, by acting in envious and prideful and wrathful and slothful and griefful and uh, gluttonous and lustful ways. Because you never know who you're going to bump into. You never know what's happened to them in their day. You never know what they're coming from. You don't know if somebody just flipped them off in traffic when they didn't do anything wrong. You just, you know, there is this unfair quality to the world, right? 
Do you want to be the straw that broke the camel's back with someone? You know they exist, right? You've experienced those days in your life where things just go wrong, 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 wrong. What did I just describe, you know, like in, in the Cain and Abel story? It's setting up that that does happen. There are certain people that just have a bad luck streak or a long ass streak. There's also people, but there's also people that keep themselves there. Nothing's forever. Nothing's permanent. But in a way, trying to run away from the cycles makes it permanent. It creates the hellscape. Your confusion with your ability to control things creates hell itself. So it's like the, the, We got to watch all these. This is, that, this is why it's so, so important for us to watch all these in ourselves. People keep on getting on TV and trying to solve these problems with gun laws. And then the other side just sitting there. Well, like it's, it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's a mental health issue. And it's like, <laughs> neither side is right. Not even close. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 if I had to say, I think the right is a little more, is, is a little more right than the, a little closer than the left is. Because the left's just going about it in a tyrannical way, like just restrict shit. It's like, no, that's that's not a good idea, right? Like that that's less freedom, not good idea. The the other side is just saying it's a mental health issue and then stopping there because nobody wants to play with these ideas and actually identify where is it coming from. Maybe some people have, but then when they actually realize it's coming from all of us, how do you explain that to people? How do you tell people, hey, you're the problem? <laughs> you know what I mean? We all collectively, society itself is the problem. How do we fix that? Oh shit. We have no mechanism anymore to fix that. We have no mechanism to orient people. We have no mechanism to call forth in them these ethical and virtuous qualities. We have no mechanism to stop all of these qualities from growing in people. We have no reason to tell them that they're not good qualities. We have no argument to back it up. Unless it grows. So I implore you, if you're listening to this, there's a reason for it. Watch what's in, happening inside of yourself. If any of these are happening, like I said, I'm not saying it doesn't happen to myself. It does. It's partially why, partially why I do this. When I listen back to this podcast, I listen back to it at various times, and it helps me remind myself of what I what I need to do and who I need to be and the path I need to walk. You know what I mean? I didn't intend for this to be that, but maybe that's what it'll become. Who knows? And I hope it's it's been useful thus far for you. I apologize if it is dark or if I do dive into those dark ideas a little too quickly for some. If you're not expecting that from this podcast and you're like, whoa, dude, like, I'm sorry, you know, but I don't mean I don't intend to surprise you. But I also assert that that's the unfounded ideas. That's exactly why the podcast is named that, that we need to prod, right? The conversations that we need to have. So um, with that, guys, I think that's what I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you uh, are uh, staying safe out there and getting back into the swing of things, really. Um, I hope you're not envious of anybody else. I hope you realize how blessed you are and how much you have to look forward to in life. That if you're in a bad place, all you have to do is look up, man. You know, that that is, it is a waveform. Life is going to take you back up. It's going to take you back down. You can be sure of that, sure of that, but know that nothing is static, right? And there's always somebody out there that, that wants to help you. I promise you that, you know, there's always somebody out there that's trying to embody these values, these, these, these virtues, you know, the world is not entirely evil. The world is not entirely bad. And you have every ability to get yourself out of those positions. Don't tell yourself otherwise. Don't allow yourself. Don't sell yourself short because you're, you're something that has meaning regardless of how the world has treated you. 
You gotta believe in that first. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.